Please take your Bible and turn to Philemon, 25th verse, which reads from the New American Standard, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Last week I closed the message by saying that the worst sin which a Christian can commit is to live for himself or for herself. A soulish Christian is a Christian who lives for his or her own spiritual enjoyment. Everything is oriented toward himself or toward herself. We saw last week the important role, in fact the imperative role, which the Holy Spirit plays in the life of a spiritual believer in Jesus Christ. We saw that the Holy Spirit reveals truth. He is, according to Jesus, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit who produces truth. He is also the Spirit who renews. He is the Spirit of life. He is the Spirit who produces life. And then the bulk of the time was spent on considering how He is the Spirit who resides in each of us. If you know Jesus Christ, He came to live in you by His Spirit. All of His Spirit came to live in you. Not part of the Spirit of God, but all of the Spirit came to live in you. And we explored the question, why? And what we discovered was, He came to live in order to transform you, to change you and me into the image, the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. He came to guide us as we follow Christ through this world. And lastly, He came to empower us. We saw from Ephesians 3, verse 16, that we are strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner man, that is, in our spirit. The Spirit being the place where we have relationship with God. This is why Paul writes here in Philemon 25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, because that's where we commune with our God. Now, let me take this one step further. The Spirit of God empowers us For one purpose, and that is to glorify Himself through our service. The assumption of Scripture is that when you were born again by the living and abiding Word of God, that the Spirit of God came to live in you. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible says that the Spirit of God set you apart. He sanctified you. Sanctification normally we associate with matters of morality. However, the main idea conveyed by the concept of our being sanctified is that we've been set apart for God's use. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible says that we are sanctified, useful to the Master, namely Jesus, prepared for every good work. The Lord prepares us for the work which He has for us in the form of service by the Holy Spirit's setting us apart for His usage. This is so important. So, what is the spiritual person's work? That's what I want to talk to you about today. What is the service that the Lord would do through a spiritual person? Well, this work is a work which is initiated by the Holy Spirit. It's not a man-initiated work. The Spirit of God initiates and starts this work. Turn to Acts chapter 13, please. And we're going to look at an example out of the life of Paul. And by the way, you should be able to quote with me 1 Corinthians 11:1 1 by now. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We want to follow the example of Paul because he follows the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In Acts chapter 13, the Bible says, beginning with verse 1, Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, notice this, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. Do you see the initiatory work of the Holy Spirit in Barnabas' and Paul's life here? They were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Notice the context in which this commissioning occurred. The people, at least these leaders and probably others in the church, they were fasting and they were ministering unto the Lord. Now stop just a moment and evaluate your perspective on your service to the Lord. Do you see your service as ministering to the Lord? Actually, that's what this passage of Scripture teaches and it's what other parts of the New Testament also teach. For instance, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, the Bible says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards, now follow this, of the manifold grace of God. When you and I serve the Lord according to the spiritual gift or gifts which He has given to us, the result is that the body is built up as that grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is shared with the body of Christ. Now, that same passage from which I quoted a moment ago goes on to say, Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Now, many of you have a speaking gift, teaching, prophecy, exhortation. And when you speak, or when I speak, this is so sobering for me. When I stand to speak, I should speak as it were the utterances of God. That puts a heavy weight upon me, and I'll tell you what that weight does. It drives me to my face before God, to where I cry out to God and say, Oh, Lord, please protect these people from anything that's coming out of my flesh or out of my mind, and please help them to receive the truth that's coming from you. But that's not the only thing that Peter says in 1 Peter 4.11. Let those who serve, and there are many other serving gifts in the body of Christ, let those who serve do so as by the strength which God supplies. So whenever you're serving the Lord, whether it's in speaking or doing other kinds of ministry, it's in the strength of the Spirit of God, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So our service as we minister to each other is not unlike the service which Barnabas and Paul rendered when they were setting out on their first missionary journey. It's a service which is designed to glorify the Lord and build up the body of Christ. So when we think about Philemon 25, which says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. How does that grace come to us? Obviously, it comes by the Holy Spirit, but it comes by the Holy Spirit through God's people. So what you need to understand, as do I, when we serve the Lord, and the Bible assumes that, that we're going to be serving. Are you serving the Lord? Do you know what work the Lord has for you in the body of Christ? There's nothing that will push you forward quite like serving the Lord, especially as you trust the Holy Spirit with the gift or gifts which He has given to you.
Now, this work which is initiated by the Holy Spirit, how do we know that we're doing a work initiated by the Holy Spirit? I bet somebody's asking that question. Many of us have not yet engaged in that work. There are others of us who are doing it, but we're really not sure. Do you ever wonder, am I really doing what the Lord wants me to do? Probably you've asked yourself that question. How do we know? First of all, if you're doing the work initiated by the Spirit of God, it is not frustrating to you. Now, it can be and usually will be tiring. Just ask these young people. Ask Dan today. And we know that Jesus, according to John chapter 4 and Mark chapter 4, he got tired. He didn't just get tired. He got hungry. And Jesus got thirsty. Jesus was a human being. He served the Lord always in the power of the Holy Spirit, yet he did get tired. And by the way, young people, if you want to read a story that will minister to you, go to 1 Kings chapter 18. When Elijah, the great prophet, took on 850 false prophets and just did away with them. In fact, he literally killed them all at the instruction of God after that event. But after he had been used mightily by God, do you know what happened to him? He turned tail and ran from a woman, the queen of Israel, Jezebel. And he was so down. This happens whenever we serve the Lord. It's what I used to call camp lag. It's after you've had a mountain-high experience, mountaintop experience, and all of a sudden you come home, you're worn out, you're depleted, and you just are susceptible to the intimidation of the devil at that point. Please understand, these things happen in our lives. So, it is not frustrating, but it can be tiring, and it's hard work. Remember, who is our role model? Paul is our role model in this particular situation. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, he says... A door that's wide open for effective service is available to me. And then he goes on to say, and there are many adversaries. Whenever the Holy Spirit opens up opportunity for you to do His work, you can be sure there's going to be opposition to what you're doing. But that should not discourage you. It should not let you down. It should help you to realize you're doing something correct. You're hearing from the Lord. This work is not frustrating because it's a God-appointed work. There wasn't somebody, your mother or your daddy or your pastor who came, and they took your arm and they sort of twisted it. Some of you are doing the so-called work of the Lord because someone twisted your arm. Those people shouldn't have been twisting anybody's arm. They should have been praying and asking God's Spirit to raise up the leaders. That's the kind of leadership that lasts, by the way. And someone twisted your arm. That's not the kind of ministry I'm talking about. That's not scriptural, spiritual ministry. It's when the Holy Spirit appoints you, just like He did Barnabas and Paul, and then He anoints you for the ministry. He sends you on the ministry. He equips you for the ministry. He gives you the power and the gifting to accomplish the ministry. Now, let me ask you to ask yourself three questions, really to help you know whether you're doing the work of the Lord in the power of the Spirit or the power of your own flesh. And the flesh is out, right? We've already determined that in previous Sundays, okay? Number one, here's the question. Do you undertake the tasks of your ministry with joy or with dread? 
Do you look forward to the ministry despite the fact that you know it's going to be tiring? Despite the fact that it's going to be difficult? Do you look forward to that ministry? If you look forward to it, then it's a Spirit-appointed, Spirit-anointed ministry. And go forward in the power of the Spirit, believing that God's going to use you. If it's dreadful to you, then it's not the work of the Lord. Second question. Does time fly when you're doing the ministry or does it drag? Now, for me, when I'm up here teaching, time flies. For some of you, it really drags. (laughs) When I'm doing what God has gifted me to do and equipped me to do and sent me to do, I lose all track of time. But if I'm trying to do something, I do a lot of things. I just confess to you that I know I'm not supposed to be doing. I don't know how that's going to get corrected, but you can pray for me. I'm not talking about sins now. I'm talking about, I do those too. I'm talking about the work of the Lord, okay? But some of those things, I mean, it's just like it can't get over fast enough, and it just doesn't get over, it seems like. It just keeps on happening. Do you have those experiences? That's the flesh That's ministry that's religious flesh. It's not ministry in the Spirit of God. All right? Here's the last question. Does your work in the Lord, does your ministry rejuvenate you or does it deplete you? Now, we've already determined you can get tired. I'm not talking about physical fatigue. Does it invigorate you or does it deplete you? Does it rejuvenate you? Let's take Jesus as an example again from that same passage from John chapter 4. You know the story. He came there with his disciples. He was tired. He was hungry. They went into town to get food. And while they were away, he had an encounter with a woman at the well. And during that period of time, something happened in her life, but something also happened in Jesus' life because when those apostles came back, they, the Bible says they were requesting him to eat. And the word translated requesting is an imperfect tense verb, which means they didn't just request him one time. They were requesting over and over again, Lord, eat, 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 Lord, eat, eat. And Jesus kept saying, no, I'm not hungry. And finally, he shut them up by saying, my food is a kind of food you don't know anything about. You're clueless about this food. And he went on to say, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish, now listen carefully, his work. That's the difference between doing something in the flesh, which is a drag to you, and doing something in the spirit, which actually rejuvenates you. Jesus was enlivened by that experience. About 25 years ago, I was out on a call with... Connie Veneciano and Jim Ferris, we were doing a witnessing call, and I was training them in how to share their faith. And all the way from the church parking lot to these people's homes, Jim Ferris, who was a mountain of a man, he's gone to be with the Lord now, but he was whining and complaining about his elbow. Now, I've had tendonitis in the elbow, and it really hurts. It hurts a lot, and evidently that's what he had. But he was crying and complaining, I was saying to myself, Oh, Lord, help him to shut up before we get in the door. Because it was his night to share. He was learning to share his faith. It was his night. So we got in the door, and I got the conversation started, turned the conversation to Jim. Jim spent almost two hours sharing the gospel with these people. They were wonderfully responsive to the good news of Jesus Christ. When we got back in the car, Jim said, that was awesome. And he said, you know, my elbow isn't hurting anymore. 
What had happened to Jim? He had been in the flesh whining and complaining. He got in the Spirit and was doing the work of the Lord, trusting the Holy Spirit, and it all went away. I don't know if he was healed. He may have been healed in the experience. Try sharing Jesus with somebody. You might get healed. I'm not trying to be funny about this. It might happen. He got his mind off himself. He got his mind on the Lord's ministry. He trusted God, and God did something significant in his life. Now, here's your job. Observe your work in the Lord. And if you don't have a work yet, find it and do it. But observe your work in the Lord. And find out those places where the Lord is using you in that work. Pinpoint those places. Now, if He's not using you, if there's no anointing in your ministry, give it a proper burial. Take a hint. The Lord's not in it. And you need to drop it. Now, that doesn't mean you're out of the ministry because the Lord never gives His people a pink slip as far as ministry is concerned. He just reassigns His people ministry. So here's the first thing. How do we know? How do we know that we're involved in a ministry initiated by God's Spirit? Here's the first point. It's not frustrating to us. Here's the second point. It is fruitful. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented thus far. Now, here's the reason he had wanted to come to them. In order that I might obtain some fruit among you, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. He was going there to obtain fruit. Now, what kind of fruit? Well, obviously, people. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Actually, chapter 3, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13. The background of this is what Paul calls in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, the judgment seat of Christ, where every believer will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and there will be an evaluation of that brother or sister's life. This will not be a time when anyone will be condemned for their sin. Why? Because there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus was condemned for every last sin you will ever commit in your life when he died upon the cross. However, there's going to be this evaluation of our lives. Look at the first part of verse 13 and notice the use of this word, work. Each man's work will become evident. Now, you may not know what your motive is as far as your ministry is concerned. But turn to chapter 4 and let's see what Paul says about this. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3. But to me it is a very small thing that I should be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself. In other words, what he's saying is, I think when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ that I'm going to give a good account of my life. It's going to be a good report the Lord's going to give on me. But I may be wrong. He goes on to say, yet I'm not acquitted of this, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment for the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart. I don't know what my motives is. 
are all the time, and you probably don't know what yours are either. But what we need to do is bring our lives under the control of the Holy Spirit and seek to follow Him. Now, back to 1 Corinthians 3.13. Each man's work will become evident for the day, and this is talking about the judgment seat of Christ, will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality, not the quantity, of each man's work. Probably all of us would hope that God would win a lot of people to Christ and build up a lot of people through us. Isn't that true? If we really love the Lord, wouldn't that be a hope that you would have? But it's not for us to make that determination. Remember what Jesus taught when he was teaching about the different soils, the good soil? He makes this observation about the good soil. He said the good soil will bring forth fruit, and then he says some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. What does that tell you and me? This is what it tells us. We have no control out of, over how many people we impact for God. That's God's business. What we do have control over is are we faithful to the Lord? Are we serving the Lord? Remember what he says when he comes back? Well done, good and faithful servant. So we need to be aware of this in our lives. We'll be evaluated not on the quantity of our work, but on the quality. And how will we determine the quality? Did it glorify the Lord? Did it build up the body of Christ? Did it minister to people in the name of Jesus Christ? Did your ministry do that as you walk through this life? Well, we need to understand the Lord wants us to be fruitful. In 1 Peter chapter 2, when Peter is describing the church, he calls it a building, and it's a living building. That's an interesting way of describing the church. And it's made up of living stones. In this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about that kind of life that's a fleshly life that's going to burn up. It's built out of wood, hay, and straw. In other words, it's fleshly in its orientation. It's lived for self. We're talking about religious life, please. We're not talking about out here running the streets of El Paso and what is. We're talking about religious expression. A lot of that's going to be burned up. What the Lord says, if you build your life out of gold, silver, and precious stones, then your life is going to stand the test. Now, do you see the connection between precious stones and living stones? People will be the fruit that are coming out of your life and my life if we're doing ministry that's initiated by the Spirit of God. Think about your life. Are people being transformed by the Holy Spirit through your life? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your children. Hopefully, your net will go further than that. Maybe it's your work associates. Maybe it's someone that your children goes to school with their children. Maybe it's that kind of person. The Lord wants to use every one of us for this purpose, to win people to Christ, to glorify God. By this is my Father glorified, Jesus says, that you bear much fruit, and by this prove to be my disciples. Now, here is the statement that may catch you a little off guard, and I'm not going to spend as much time on this. But just as surely as the work of the spiritual person is initiated by God's Spirit, that same work, now listen carefully, may be terminated by the Spirit of God. Are you listening? Why would the Spirit of God terminate some work which He began? There are three reasons that I have found. There are probably many more, but here's the first reason to starve a work that's on its road to going bad. In John 15, verse 2, Jesus says, 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. But every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it in order that He may produce more fruit. Have you ever seen the pruning of a vineyard before? After the growing season is over, the harvest has come, and then the vine dresser comes in at some point and radically prunes those vines back to the ground. It looks vicious what he's doing to them. Why does the vine dresser do that? So that in the coming year, that the growth which was necessary for the bearing of the fruit the previous year, so that that growth will not take up the energy which is absolutely necessary for the production of fruit in that particular year. Now, what in the world does that have to do with what we're talking about today? It has everything to do with what I'm talking about today. Because this is what happens. The Spirit of God leads you as an individual. Or the Holy Spirit leads us as a church into a ministry. It's a Spirit-led, Spirit-anointed ministry. And He blesses it and He bears fruit through it. And then what we do, we run and we want to prop it up. You know, we want to get a method and we want to institutionalize it. One of the problems, the biggest hazard, I'm convinced, that churches which are like ours, which are growing churches, face is the temptation to institutionalize the church. The church is not an institution. The church is an organism. It's the body of Christ. Now, we know that organisms are organized, but please understand what we need to guard against is that. And I'll just go on record as saying the Spirit of God, Jesus... The vine dresser comes and he prunes it. Have you ever had a season in your life where the Lord really used you? And then all of a sudden, just as dramatically as he was using you, it's just like the power was cut off. Have you had that happen? I'll never forget the first time this happened in my life. It was very perplexing. And then I came to this passage in John 15 too, and I realized the Lord was pruning me, and it's a painful thing. He was pruning me so that he could bear more fruit. Through me. I've already hinted at the second reason why the Spirit of God may terminate. I'm not saying He's going to terminate the ministry you're in, but He may terminate the ministry. Is to stop a ministry that's already gone bad. Many ministries, personal and otherwise, have already become fossilized because they've been driven by the flesh and not by the Spirit. Here's the third reason. It's in order to start a more important ministry. Are you listening? Think about the man we know as Philip in Acts chapter 8. He was preaching the gospel with great power in Samaria. And God was honoring that with many people coming to faith in the Lord. Many people. We don't know exactly how many, but probably hundreds would be a conservative estimate. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God terminated that ministry. Now, I put myself in Philip's place and I say, Lord, but look at all these people. They're coming to Jesus every time I get up and speak. It's like you're speaking through me and people are being drawn to Christ by the Spirit, by you, Spirit. Why in the world would you want me to leave this and go there? And besides, here's the other argument I would use. All these newborn babies, we need to help them grow spiritually. But what did the Lord do? The Lord took Philip and sent him off to an out-of-the-way place to share the gospel with one person. Now, we know why we've been saved, to glorify God. 
And we know what glorifies Him most, that we bear much fruit. And we know what Jesus says in Acts 1.8 when He says, When you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Had Philip been a witness in Jerusalem? Read Acts 6. It has the answer. Had he been a witness in Judea? In all Judea. Had he, yes, he'd been a witness in Judea. Had he been a witness in Samaria? And that was a big step of faith for him. To go there in a hostile environment to preach the gospel because the Spirit of God was telling him to do that. And he got there and he preached it and he was so surprised and so elated that he had obeyed the Lord and the Spirit of God was using him. Yes, he had done something that maybe nobody else had done to that point. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, now I want you to leave that and I want you to go out here. Now what's the rest of Jesus' command in Acts 1-8? And to the remotest part of the world. Now, this man was an Ethiopian. He was a black African. And the gospel had not gotten into black Africa yet. This man had come up as a God-fearer, wanting to know about the true God. And he was on his way back, and he had the scroll open to Isaiah 53. And here is Philip. The Spirit of God says, go up in the chariot and explain this to him. He explained it to him. The man was born again. The man said, there's water. What keeps me from being baptized? Philip baptizes him. That's the last we ever hear of the Ethiopian. The last we ever hear. But it's really not the last. Because here he took the gospel to Africa and began a revival undoubtedly in his region, which perhaps spread out to other areas. When the Holy Spirit wants to do something greater, He terminates one ministry and sends His people or His individuals to do another ministry. We have to be alert to this. We have to be open whenever the Spirit of the Lord speaks to us individually and as the body of Christ. Now, when a ministry is terminated, remember what I said? The Lord doesn't give us a pink slip. Aren't you glad? Until we're out of here. We're still on duty. We're still serving the Lord. We still have work to do. I don't care how old you are, how infirmed you are, until you draw your last breath, the Lord has something more to do with your life. And I'm so excited about that because I'm getting quite a bit older these days. Now turn to Acts chapter 16. And once more, to illustrate this, we go to our exemplar, our role model, Paul. Acts 16 Verse 6, And they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit keeping people from preaching the gospel? I thought it was the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is. But the Spirit of God said, no, not in Asia. Then they come over here and they want to go to Bithynia. And then what does the Spirit of God say? No, not there. I would have become discouraged at that point. But look what the Bible says. And passing by Messiah, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Who initiated that work? God did, didn't he? And geographically, where is Macedonia? What continent is Macedonia in? 
It's in Europe. This is the first time the gospel reached into Europe. See, Paul had an effective ministry in Asia, a very effective ministry in Asia to this point. But the Lord said, that's it, Paul. I don't want you to do it here anymore. I'm going to redirect you and your cohorts. And they went across into a new area and they shared the gospel there. Look, this thing of being a Christian is fantastic. This thing is awesome. We get to be useful to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There's a hymn in our hymnal, hymn number 400. Rise up, O men of God. Be done with lesser things. With heart and mind and soul and strength, serve or give yourself to the King of Kings. Rise up, church. Be what God has called you to be. Be a child of God. Be a spirit-led, spirit-filled Christian. Be a spirit-filled church. And always bear in mind what David said on the one hand and what the Apostle Paul said on the other hand. David said, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And then Paul says in Romans 15, 8, he says, I will not presume to speak of anything Now, this would cut our conversation short. Speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that were true of us as the church? That we only speak of what Jesus has done through us by His Spirit? Now, bow your heads a moment. And I'm going to ask you some questions which hopefully have already occurred to you. The first question is, am I doing the work of the Lord? What answer did you get? If not doing the work of the Lord, would you be daring enough to say, to the Lord, Lord, show me and empower me for the work you have for me to do. And then if you think you've been doing the work of the Lord and there's been something stirred up in you today by this message that would indicate you've been doing it in the flesh, you've been doing it for yourself, it's been good stuff but you've been doing it for you and not for the glory of God. It's going to be burned up someday. Would you admit that to the Lord right now? And now, would you say to the Lord, Lord, I want to yield myself in a fresh way to you today. 